What is up, guys? Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. It is uh, just days away from NBA All-Star Weekend. It is a very different All-Star Weekend than we, what we had in the past, given all the COVID restrictions. We'll break down what we're expecting for week, the weekend and also look ahead to the second half. There's already a pretty uh, expansive report from Shan Serrani about some players that could be on the move via buyout or trade. So I'm really excited to see what Kendall's thoughts are on that. We'll also uh, talk about a, uh, a a pretty major move in the NFL. J.J. Watt, after all those years in Houston, he asked for his release. He got it. He's now on a new team. There was some drama regarding where he was going to go because of something on a Peloton bike. We'll explain all that later. But uh, but I'm excited to talk about that as well. And uh, a couple, I'll be honest, a couple of disturbing stories when it comes to college sports and college coaches Head coach of uh, Creighton, Greg McDermott, had to apologize for some extremely insensitive comments he made to his team after a loss this week. And uh, just coming out this, this today as we report this, uh, as we do this podcast on Thursday, uh, Les Miles, a uh, very disturbing report regarding his conduct at LSU involving young female students. So never the kind of headline you want to read or hear, but it's important for us to talk about these things. So I always try to make sure we do. So we got a lot of tough to talk about. Should be a great show. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Kendall, before we started the pod, you mentioned how, you know, of all the years in terms of your interest and, and, and your ability to dive into the sport, this has been the weakest time for you for college basketball. And I think it has been for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. But you say you're back in. You told me you're back in. You told me you've been invested this week. <laughs> You got an yeah. early start to some of the conference tournaments, and 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 then now you know uh, it, it, college college hoops. Ken is back. Is that is 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 are, are the rumors true? Well, you know it's it's funny, <laughs> EJ, because you know I'm I'm reading my uh my 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 publications, and I, I go to ESPN, I go to Bracketology, and you know I'm looking, you know I'm like, all right, so who's on the bubble? I haven't watched any college basketball this year, uh, which is an exaggeration, but I haven't watched any college basketball this year. You know who's on that? Who's on the bubble? And I, and I saw Memphis, uh, of course, longtime Memphis <laughs> fan, Memphis basketball fan. Shout out Penny Hardaway. And once I saw Memphis was on the next four out, I was locked in. <laughs> <laughs> so it's purely so, selfish yeah, reasons. I got a good win against South Florida. Um, they have a chance to play themselves into the tournament this week against, against Houston. And Calvin Sampson, who's ranked in, the, I believe, in the top five. Um, so you know. Typically, when Memphis is in these situations, they lose. So we'll see if uh, this year is any different. But uh, it's yeah. funny though, Kendall. You you say that Memphis being, I guess it makes sense. But the, the only thing I will say that's interesting to me is you say Memphis being in the mix got you back in. But I mean, you guys have missed the tournament for a lot of, a lot of years in a row now. Um, well, I mean, and yet you've still you, been invested. So, I, so I think it's more than just Memphis being being in it. You're or you're a Nick fan. You, you you can attest to uh, over time, you know, when you get further from the glory days, you know, it, it wanes. You know, you're interested. Look, look, man, I I told you, like, like you know, I look at my sports teams as, like, you know, certain teams got to be good and then other teams got to be bad. Oh, yeah. The teams I root for, for the people listening to the show, I've never had it where all of my teams are thriving. And look, I'm a Celtics and, and, the, and the better some teams thrive, the worse some teams are. So, to me, like, the oh, yeah. fact that Gonzaga has been – this superpower is to me that is a reason why in my head, like like the, like uh, the Jets have just been at the bottom. Like to right. me, that's how I've rationalized it. 
in my personal head. It's like, all right, it, it, I, it, I sac- I've had to sacrifice the New York Jets, which is sad to me because I haven't seen meaningful football in so long. But I have to sacrifice the Jets so I can Zaga can continue to yeah. make these Miami final four runs and make their trade. make their runs try win their first national championship. I, you can't have it all. You can't have you know some people don't have luxury to be Yankee Laker. Uh, you know, um, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, FC Barcelona fans, you know, like not everybody has that luck, you know, like, yeah. I don't have that luck. So I, I try to be respectful. I try to understand, okay, if I can get two of my teams playing well, it's sad, but I can live with it. And for the most part, that's what I've had recently this and year in look, Miami. The position I'm in, EJ, basketball. with Memphis Tigers basketball and the Celtics and the, the Giants and the Vikings, it's a lot of mediocrity. Perfectly I, I was, yeah, I was gonna say shout out to JRD Jid. It, it sounds like a, it's all bad. <laughs> oh. well, you know, not none of them are none of them are, are are scrubs. They're all you know borderline, probably gonna miss the playoffs or barely make the playoff teams. So that's that's the purgatory you don't want. But but the so, difference you know. though is <laughs> with, with most of those teams, the expectations. Well, I'd say all of them. The expectations were higher. Like yeah. Like they, yeah. There was optimism within, you know, those three teams you mentioned. I know there's no optimism with the Giants. The, yeah, the but, Giants right brand. but the other things that within the fan base, there's optimism that a championship run maybe wasn't that far away. And boy, <laughs> boy, is that fell apart. The Minnesota, the Minnesota stuff, was, the Viking stuff was uh, far-fetched. Uh, yeah, and I think you've even said in this podcast you felt like it was fool's gold. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, of course, Slick Rick. Spielman said this week that uh, Kirk Cousins is our quarterback going forward. So, <laughs> any of the Cousins to San Fran stuff, we can throw that out. Uh, any of the Trey Lance, the pictures of Trey Lance at a Vikings jersey, pictures of Justin Fields, or even even Mac Jones uh, in a Vikings jersey. I don't know if I wanted Mac Jones to begin with, but I mean, to me, uh, I mean, we and it's, it's curious why. I mean, I, I say it's curious why they would make that decision, but to me, it really isn't. I guess it's. You know, to me, Spielman is making the calculation that even if he drafts a, a quarterback in the first round, like, unless that guy, like, lights it up, like, it's not going to buy him more time. Like, this year is do or die. Yeah. Yeah, so, he's got to wait. Yeah. yeah, so it's, are, <laughs> you gonna like, do or, are you going to do or die with a rookie, or are you going to do or die with a veteran? I, we could argue about how good the veteran is, but I think he's like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down the sword. I like, signed him with this contract. To this, I talked about with Harry Roseman a couple of weeks ago, where it was like, Hi Roseman, like I mean, he's either gonna do or die with Jalen Hurts, or he's gonna do and die, do or die with Justin Fields or whoever else he could draft. Right. You know, Kirk Cousins is obviously a much better option right now than Jalen Hurts in terms yes. of feeling like you can win games. Yeah, uh, exactly. Keeping the, the safe, I should say, there's a chance Hurts will be better than Kirk Cousins next season, but it's much safer to go with Kirk Cousins. So uh, that's the situation that those two franchises are in. Interestingly enough. It's funny, uh, as we get to the end of this college basketball season, we kind of it's weird how they're just racing like all these makeup games in like teams are playing back to backs and playing two games and three nights and, and stuff. Uh, we talked about it a little bit off the air, and I just you know, kind of we will you know, I, I assume as we are in March that this will pretty much transition to a college basketball podcast shortly after um the all star break and then in the NBA, but. I, I I talked to you the other day off the air, and I'll say it again, man. Shout out to the Illinois Fighting Illini, man. That team is serious. Um, they had a, they had a monster win against uh, Michigan after uh, you know a couple weeks ago. They had a tough loss against Michigan State. 
and they beat Wisconsin in the same week, both road games. I've talked about how I don't think any team wants smoke with Gonzaga. That's, of course, the team I root for. And and I thought the only team that wanted smoke was Baylor, and they I know they looked kind of shaky since the COVID situation they had, and they had to, they had to miss a bunch of games. But Illinois, to me, is a team that just has this super high ceiling that – to, to trust them to win six games in a row sometimes is hard for me, but the the, the, the potential is so enticing. They're going to be a really tough out in the tournament because they got immense size in the middle, obviously, uh, with Coburn. But they got good guard play. They can shoot. They can defend. They're physical. They got it all. I mean, they, they don't, like, they, they, to me, they're not like a Big Ten team. Like, like they have way more punch, for lack of a better term, than what you expect from, like, a typical Big Ten powerhouse. I know Iowa has that kind of punch too, but they're like they don't they're not as physically imposing, obviously, as Illinois yeah. is. <laughs> what does that mean, DJ? They're not. I mean, look, it's nothing. Look, I don't, it doesn't matter how much snow is on the court for Iowa. I'm talking about just physically imposing as a team in terms of size, athleticism, strength. They're gonna beat you. I mean, it's an accurate statement. Exactly. Yeah, they're, they're gonna beat you with skill. They're gonna beat you with threes. They're gonna try to you know run you out the gym, which like, you know, I mean, they, look, they do a great job of. But that Iowa, I mean, excuse me, Illinois can can run you out the gym and also beat you up. And that's <laughs> the, what I'm talking about. That's why they're not a typical Big Ten team because they have, in a sense, the Big Ten kind of physicality, but they can also score 100. So that's kind of a scary. Yeah. <laughs> that's a scary Shout thought. Most teams uh, don't have that kind of a uh, have that kind of potential. Shout out to. Uh, Kate Cunningham came oh, in. Shout the, out to Kate Cunningham. Picking the draft. Had a bit of a slightly underwhelming freshman season, given the expectations were so high from some people, including myself. Um, some people were watching and saying, well, what's, the, what's the big deal about this guy? You know, he's kind of ordinary. Um, they learned They learned the last couple of weeks. They learned. <laughs> yeah, they, they learned <laughs> this week or last week uh, against Oklahoma uh, um, in a game Oklahoma State kind of needed to win. Uh, uh, he dropped 40 points on Oklahoma in Norman, um, which obviously is, <laughs> they're both in Oklahoma, but obviously uh, on the road. So um, shout out to Kate Cunningham. He was locked at number one pick at this point, uh, as well as Jalen Suggs played. As, you know, Jalen Green's really starting to get it going for, mm-hmm. in the G League, and Evan Mobley's played excellent, and Kuminga's played really good, obviously, in the G League. It's it's not gonna. I don't think it's not gonna. It's not really gonna matter because what makes Cunningham so unique as a prospect is that he can play three positions yeah. for a team. So you know, as opposed to like if you're not, no one's gonna draft Jalen Suggs if they have a point guard. No one's gonna draft Evan Mobley if they have two bigs. You know, but I mean, there's very few teams that are gonna be drafting lottery that are set at the one, two, and three. That would say I don't need Cunningham on my. I can't fit him in my lineup. So. Regardless of who gets number one pick, it almost certainly is going to be Kate Cunningham. So yeah, the kids uh, had a great season. Um, I'm assuming the NCAA won't do any hijinks, though. You never know. <laughs> well, right now they're <laughs> they're appealing their postseason ban, so therefore, right now because the appeal is pending, they can be named to the NCAA tournament. So, you know, again, because the NCAA and with the week left, post some hijinks and say actually. Nah, they can't play, and then pull them out, even though they're the one of the hottest teams in the country. It would I will, don't put anything past the NCAA, but I, I texted you, you know, shout out to Mike Boyne. They 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 are to me the most improved team in college basketball. Cause we talked about it, we kind of clowned them early in the year. We got to eat our crow. 
Yeah, they watched like, they, they didn't like a good team. And they won a bunch of games. But when you watch those games, it, it looked like the Cade Cunningham show and, and a lot of the other guys didn't seem up to the snuff. Yeah, but, it was a lot of Ben Simmons, LSU energy, a lot of... Yes, it was. Not as bad as the Fultz stuff, but it, was, it reminded me of that Simmons team. It was like, all right, we got this guy, you know, who also want to make the league, and, you know, <laughs> they're not going to play through Cunningham, and like you say, it was the Cunningham show, but everybody else kind of doing their own thing, and now, like you said, they, they're playing they're playing a cohesive brand of basketball, and... I just love how balanced they are. I mean, yeah. I mean, besides Cade, all those other guys can hurt you, but you don't know who's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Playing, yeah, it's team player. basketball. Um, and that I mean, it's it's very rare to have a one and done. I mean, look at what Anthony Edwards did at Georgia. He was spectacular, but that team could barely win, you know, ten games, fifteen games. Um, you look at what obviously Fultz and Ben Simmons did at their respective school. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's very rare. I mean, honestly, I think this is what like that Missouri team would have looked like if Michael Porter hadn't gotten hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, they were still pretty good without him. Um, you know, it's that kind of, this is that kind of team, but, um, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Mike Boyton. It was just, he, I, this is off topic, but I, I feel like he's the guy that he may end up leaving Oklahoma state pretty soon. Cause I mean, he's from New York. Block he gave, he gave, I mean, he, look, when you, when you hire, you know, recruits dads to be the assistant coach to me, you're not thinking long-term about, about the right. prospects there. You're going to, you're on yeah. a year to year, you're on a year to year basis. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't think he's no, married to staying in Stillwater. Yeah, I could see a team in the Northeast making a run at Mike Boyden. Because I mean, again, how long does he really want to be in in Stillwater, Oklahoma? Um, what they got? I to feel like the Northeast teams, though, that we always talk about when these jobs come up, are kind of set, right? Yeah, they kind of yeah they kind of set. I mean, Boston UConn's, College is UConn has a new newer newish coach. St. John's has a new, newish coach. I think both fan bases would, are, are, are relatively pleased with those coaches right now. Seton Hall has had a very successful coach. They've had a down year, but uh, Willard's had a, a great amount of success there. He's not going anywhere. Um, he wouldn't go to. Uh, he wouldn't go to BC, right? No, that that that's no. You don't do that. <laughs> BC like walking into. Yeah, BC fire. is just that. That to me, you you only take that job just like. BC is just a job. It's like it's like a to me it's like a no risk job. Like to me, if you're a guy at a small school or a mid major school, and BC calls, I mean you take it. It's it's a great tradition. Um, you know, uh, RIPs our, our cousin Terrence Style. He played at uh, BC, and yeah. it's a great tradition. They they won a lot over the, the course of their history, um, and it's, it's a decent recruiting area. But it's just too hard. The job is too hard. You're getting the kids academically. Playing in that conference where you're not going to be playing anyone regionally, so that kind of hurts your recruiting. Even though there's a decent talent pool, you're going to be playing against Miami and North Carolina. Like the, the, the B, B, BC is just in a terrible situation. They haven't really been able to get out of their own way since they really moved to the ACC. Uh, at least since the early days uh, when they were in the ACC, they're still pretty good. Yeah, no, you, you're Mike Boy. You don't take that job. I don't care how much money they give you, and I, I don't think. And to me, Oklahoma State would one hundred percent pay whatever Boston College can pay. Like that, I wonder like, if because this Jeff Cable thing isn't working at Pitt. They just lost like two of their yeah. best players. Yeah, two uh, not named <laughs> she had Penny right. uh, decided to transfer. Um, and you know, Cable was like, "Oh, I mean, it's just we just two guys that didn't want to be two less guys that didn't want to be here." 
<laughs> All right, <laughs> that's your answer. Sure. So what's going with the dumpster fire that's going on in, in Pittsburgh? Um, I wonder if they would they would look at Boyden as well. Uh, I yeah, I'm just I feel like he 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 just fits. He probably fits the Northeast uh, long term. I would think I, better. I agree with that. Um, so one last thing that, on one last thing right. on Pitt uh, before we get to the other stuff. I just want to shout out Con Gillespie. Um, towards uh, MCL, likely done for the year. So that that was tough yeah, to see man, Villanova. But one thing on Pitt, I like, mean, he sorry, go ahead. Good. Yeah, I mean, hey. you know, the one thing I will say about Pitt, I I kind of wonder if Pitt was is like one of those like programs where, like, we we watched the Golden Age. Like maybe we should we like maybe. should we should we really be expecting Pitt to be good? Like we've had the expectation, but like, like maybe Ben Holland, Jamie Dixon was as good as it gets. My uh, don't tell that to my boss with the Eagles, uh, Patrick Dolan. Yeah, sorry, uh, he's a big Pitt alum. He loves I mean, Pitt yeah, basketball. Look, look I, I, I have a lot of respect. You know I me, mean? I have a lot of respect for Pitt basketball because I follow them because you're following them, and and I, I, I like their program. I like what they represented. Um, and when they were good, it was, I loved having them as part of the mix in the Big East and then even in the ACC. But just kind of looking at the landscape of the recruiting there, looking at the conference, I'm just like, how does anyone consistently win here? Like, I don't, I don't, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I couldn't tell you. They tried, you know, I thought a great fit, you know, to someone who's just a hellacious recruiter who we can get in any high school gym or any AAU gym. And you just yeah. got to find guys who will come here. And the guys are leaving. So it's like I don't yeah. I don't know what I don't know how much better they could do than Jeff Capel. I think Jeff Capel's a decent coach. And I'm not trying to fire him today. I don't think you were either. But it's just like yeah. I, I just wonder like if this is a team that you should be happy that you're in the bubble when you are and then be happy before your NIT appearances. I, I don't know if this thing of being a, a consistent tournament team and being a second weekend team that they were legitimately under Dixon and Holland, I just, that just might not be it. Like, like what's the, what's the difference besides a, a thriving football program? Like, what's the difference between Pitt and Penn State? Not much. Um, no. Similar kind of schools, you know. Similar I mean, kind of region. Pitt, Pitt's a local. Even Pitt beyond but, the Holland and Jamie Jamie Dixon years has some good years to point to. With yeah, basketball, got some, whereas Penn State has like none. That's the only difference I would say. There is Penn State has no basketball tradition, but Penn, Pitt has some. You know, yeah, and all Pitts is in the in the. Well, yeah, and that's that's yeah. Uh, that's a lot of the issue. Um, yeah, know, BC and Pitt, I think, in some ways, are they're kindred spirits in some ways. BC is a Pitt's in a little bit of better position than BC is, but but they, you know, to, to in order to get those ACC dollars, they sold their soul for basketball. Like like I don't know how those things and it helps their football program. Oh yeah, they, they can, no one wants to recruit Northeast players in football, but in in basketball. Yeah, it kills uh, them. It, yeah, it hurts them gravely. Yeah, it's only a kid from Philly. Yeah, or a kid from Boston. That, hey, we're not playing any of your, your friends that are at the Big East schools and the A10 schools or anything. Like, it's, there's no chance, you know? No. It's a, so it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing. Um, there was one last basketball thing, college basketball thing I wanted to say before we move on. Oh, uh, I don't know if it's it for Mike Bray, but I didn't like seeing uh, the fans booing him. Um, oh, they were booing and, Mike Bray. Wow. Yeah, that yeah that was that was uh that was that was not good. Um, they've had a bad season. 
they. So you're saying uh, Mike Brady's not going to succeed uh, Coach K at Duke? I don't think that'll be likely <laughs> given what's happened over there. But like you know, someone Whenever, tweeted it, and I, I agree, like from zero. what I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know Mike Brady personally, and when you hear these horror stories that we're hearing in the last you know last few days about some of these college basketball and football coaches, you know, we don't know who these people are. But I will say that Mike Brady's always handled himself with like immense class, and he's been a really good like, basketball uh, coach for a long time. Jimmy Beheim, of course. Oh, don't get me started on big time. He had another quote last night, but I'm not. Even, yeah. I'm not even going to go down that road. Yeah, I'm not yeah. even going down the road with him today. But like Bray is always conducting himself with so much class, and I just seeing them booing them out the arena. You know, first of all, the kids are playing in a pandemic, dog. Like you know, this is not the time you booing kids and booing that coaching staff for putting this season, even putting the season together. And this is Notre Dame basketball. I mean, like. Like, Notre Dame basketball is not, like, some some guarantee in terms of being relevant. And Mike Bray yeah. is the greatest coach, arguably, they've ever had. So, I don't know. I felt a way about seeing that. I'm like, man, he's done a lot for that program. It's, it is. You want to talk about hard jobs? <laughs> Notre Dame basketball in the ACC? Yeah. I mean, come on, dog. That's a, that's a hellacious <laughs> job. And he's done a hell of a job. He's had some injuries, some things haven't gone their way, and they've had a lot of bad luck over the last three, four years. And now there's questions of if he will return. I don't know. I, I, I was like, man, that, that sucks, because he seems to be like a lot of what's right about college basketball. And to see Notre Dame fans booing him out the arena, that wasn't, that wasn't a good look. So shout out to Mike Bray. Um, I, he's always been a guy from a distance I've always really admired in the college basketball game. Mike Bray seems like the kind of coach. He needs to end up at a job like Mick Cronin. Like, Mick, Mick Cronin really... <laughs> he stepped in he it when he jack- ended up. He got the job. Like, yeah, yeah, because like Cronin, and we'll talk about this on on uh, what you call it on uh, on committed. Um, but like Cronin, when he ended up at UCLA, he's never a good recruiter at, at Cincinnati. But UCLA is one of like the five or ten jobs that just recruits itself. Yeah, like. Any kids are gonna go there regardless. Like yeah. I didn't even care who they're playing for. What's the situation? It's like oh, I'm going to UCLA. It doesn't matter. So. Like, Cronin's always been able to, you know, coach. It's just, yeah. you know, how, does he have the players to win a national championship? And now we're seeing the fruits of that labor uh, in terms of recruiting. Like, Mike Bray's kind of the same way, where right? he's not some, you know, dogged recruit. He, you know, he gets the best out of what he's got. Um, in the ACC, that's tough, especially, like you said, being at Notre Dame, where you got to recruit locally in Indiana, but then you're playing in the ACC, um, you know, and, like, Indiana is another one of those jobs that kind of recruits itself. And so I feel like when they get rid of Archie Miller at some point in the near future, they're going to have to look coach that also. I think it's similar to the to the Mick Cronin, uh, you know, kind of tree. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's Mike Bray because, I mean, that's giving him a promotion, from, you know, after the, the lack of success in Notre Dame. But um, I feel like he's in that he's in that class as well. Jamie Dixon, Ben Holland, you know, is why Ben Holland had that kind of success yeah. at UCLA as well. You know, so there's coaches like that where. Dana Altman, you know, at Oregon. Mm-hmm. Like, Dana Altman, I thought that was a terrible hire. I was like, no, you got to get somebody that's going to get players. Little did I realize, I forgot that Oregon recruits itself. Yes. You don't need, yes. you don't need some guy yeah. to tell some kid why having all these exclusive Nike and Jordans are, <laughs> uh, exactly. is the reason why they should come here. Yeah, so, yeah, you just, yeah. Need a, you just need a really good basketball coach. And Altman yeah. and Cronin are really good basketball coaches. So... The ability to get the players, again, it's varying degrees, but you'll get good players there. 
So I I do kind of agree that Bray's kind of in that same tree where it's like if he went someplace where he could get like great players, he could probably compete for a national championship. But it's never going to be in the cards in Notre Dame. So I, I just think he deserved a shout out because of uh, how I saw their season. And I don't know if it was the end of the season, but it might have been their last home game with him getting them getting booed out the arena. Uh, let, let's well, like I said, this podcast. You know, we love the college basketball talk at the top. Again, get ready because <laughs> the championship week coming up with March Madness. I think we're going to be talking a lot of college basketball, which I'm excited about. I always love kind of this transition period. Um, we've been all locked in on the NBA for a good while now, and then now you kind of get to the dog days of the season, like right after the uh, all-star break, and some teams that are really out of it really start tanking. Um, that's a great time to really lock into some high-level competition going on in college because of the the, the magnitude of the games. But I do want to talk about some of the stuff that happened in the NBA. And I want to first uh, hi- highlight, Kendall, this article from Sham Sharania of The Athletic. And he really kind of laid out a lot of what we can expect to see or maybe potentially look to see in the next coming days uh, in regards to player movement. Um, P.J. Tucker is a player who's getting a lot of interest. Apparently the Nets, the Bucks, the Heat, the Lakers all uh, interested in in the Houston forward. Um, one of the things I definitely that, want to ask you. Sorry, what did you say? Uh, it, no, I was going to say that Rocket situation is <laughs> as bad as it gets right now. I mean, in sports. Houston sports right now, it's just it's all bad. <laughs> Again, yeah. shout out to Jid. Second JID reference today is all bad. <laughs> it's not not much not not really much to look forward to. Um, your baseball team is cheaters. Uh, the basketball team is in shambles. John Wall had a game recently, and shout out to John Wall. He did have a really good game last night, or whenever they played Houston, uh, the Nets. But, but I think about the game before that. I think he had a game. We had twelve points, no rebounds, no assists, uh, and no steals, and he shot like four for sixteen. And they got, they <laughs> lost by like thirty. At the I'm point like, guard. Yeah, he's a point guard. And I'm like, and look, John will he will tell you himself that's a terrible game. And I'm not – I only make that – bring that stat line up to just be like, man, it's bad over there. Because he's been playing good. But, like, it's just a terrible situation all around. Um, Oladipo has not helped it one bit. I won't be surprised if they actually try to move him before they even get to the trade deadline, move him again. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not just, being good. Well, I don't know why they didn't just take LeVert. <laughs> I mean – so I mean, I, 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 well, I, at the time, I told you I got it because to me, we talked about it. It was how do you trade a player like Harden and not justify to your fans you're getting a star back. They they wanted a star back, so they they took back a guy who is arguably a star. I think it's arguable, you know. We right. have that discussion, but but that's that was their thinking. I think it was we need somebody, so here we'll take Old Depot because we can't sell our fans Casper, which is what we told you. We we were right yeah. about that. Um, but they, the question is, was it right to take Oladipo? And that clearly isn't looking like the case. So PJ Tucker, uh, he could very well be on, on, on the, on the outs. Apparently Houston's looking for a young player back in return for him. Um, uh, Harrison Barnes from the Sacramento Kings is, is gauging interest. But, uh, the two guys I want to first start off with that I think rose my antenna were guys linked to the Boston Celtics. Uh, and, and to be fair, Barnes was uh, also linked to the Celtics, or Bailey. I'm sorry, uh, uh, also in the Kings, who's also apparently could be on the move. Um, but two guys that I think are having great seasons that definitely intrigue me because Boston, as we sit right now, 
uh, not very good spot in the standings. I think you guys are. I think they're below under five hundred now, right? They're seventeen, eighteen. I think that's all. Uh, oh no, eighteen, seventeen. So uh, one game, uh, yeah, or one yeah, game yeah. above. They've won. They've won three in a row. They're playing yeah. now against Toronto. And Kemba, Kemba's starting to turn around. But this is a yeah. Boston team that very clearly looks to be a step below the Nets. And then, because the Nets, I think, are in their own class. And then, and then a yeah. step below the Sixers and Bucks. You're right. So, Danny Ainge admitted himself. Yeah, he said, as, he said, they're not, they're not, they can't win can't, a championship. As president, yeah. presently constituted, no chance. Right. And he's being so honest. Yeah, he's being honest. And that's why two players being linked to them now are Jeremy Grant from the Detroit Pistons having a career year, could win most improved player, and uh, Nikola. Vucevic, also having a career year in Orlando. Do either you got do either of these names excite you? Oh, by the way, Orlando is also supposed. I mean, excuse me, um, Charlotte supposed to be also interested in, in Vucevic. Do either of these names intrigue you? And are you willing to give up whatever would whatever it would take to get either guy? Vucevic well, sounds they, like it's going to take a lot. Um, I mean, sure. You know, I mean. If you, if you told me, we, yeah, you can add another all-star to this team. That's what Nikola Vucevic is, and Jeremy Grant has essentially played at that level of the season. Um, I mean, yeah, of course I'd be interested. Um, we talk about what it would take. The question then becomes, well, does that make you a, a serious contender? Um, because, if you, I mean, look, I don't know if they have what it takes even to begin with. But if we're talking yeah. like, if we're just, you know, spitballing what it would take, you know, Robert Williams has had an excellent season for the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a extremely dynamic defensive player that can change the game um, and has has for them this season. Uh, and obviously Peyton Pritchard has had a very uh, surprising and impressive rookie season. I would imagine those are their two best assets that aren't in their core. Um and I mean, like Marcus Smart. I mean, I don't think they're trading him. As bad as he played when he got hurt, it doesn't seem like that's a guy. That he seems like he's more—he's—he's he's more untouchable than Kemba Walker would be. Um, and I don't know if those teams would have any interest in Kemba Walker either. So yeah, I would imagine it would be a deal centered around the the young guys they have: Pritchard, Williams, Aaron e. Smith, Romeo Langford, some combination of those guys, and a bunch of draft picks, which. I mean, it looks problem one of those though, is, is Nicole is making twenty six million, so you got to match the money. That's why I don't see how Marcus. Ma- I don't see how Marcus Smart's not in the deal. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, you might be right. Um, I was wondering if 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 Trishan Thompson, but Trishan Thompson, I think is making. He's making like the nine. He's making nine million. Yeah, nine million. Yeah. Million. So yeah. Yeah, I mean you're not. I mean you're not wrong about that. Um, and then that, I mean that's just that's a non-starter uh, right now. As bad as Kemba's played, you can't you can't move on. You can't move Marcus Smart. Um, mm-hmm. Not for one of these guys. I, I know they want to improve the power forward position. You have to be creative. I think Blake Griffin, not nearly obviously the player that Jeremy Grant or uh, you know Nikola Vucevic is, but. Right. Um, you know, I think Blake Griffin for nothing. If you get, if you're able to keep those guys, and you take your chance on hoping that Blake Griffin can 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 be closer to what he was a couple years ago, um, 
you know, or one of those buyout guys, you know, and uh, Nemanja Bjelica, one of those guys, because I, moving smart for Vucevic is like, you know, you plug one hole and you create another. I mean, just doing the trade machine now. I mean, for I mean, the the Vucevic deal is so hard because the money is so high. Um, but so you have to include smart. I mean, with the pit, like for uh, a Jeremy Grant move, I mean, you could do Thompson, Langford, Naismith, and Pritchard for Jeremy Grant. That's a lot of young guys, though. Yeah, that, that's I mean, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of bad age draft picks all in one. No, I'm just, <laughs> I mean, Bridges uh, is good. That's not, that's not no, yeah, Peyton Bridges is awesome. Yeah, but I mean, um, Langford's been hurt all year, so we really don't know what the deal is with Langford. Besides the fact that he's always hurt, um, you, and these I mean, you might good. be able I mean, to you, know, you might be able to you know uh, adjust it by you know maybe substituting a young player for you know another salary kind of dump guy. Uh, and maybe then you have to give a first round pick. And then, and then that goes to like, why would Detroit do that other than like we just want to be worse than we already are? Right, exactly. Yeah, like to me, <laughs> like, know, Detroit like Detroit and Orlando, Detroit. the only reason you have to trade those guys is if you're just fleecing somebody. Yeah, I mean Orlando. Yeah, well, no, yeah, I would say both of them. I mean, I, I don't. If you're Orlando, unless you're really saying we want to like tank, like we want to be one of the worst teams in the league, like what Houston did with Hart, like Houston, mm-hmm. you know, clearly made the decision, like oh, we, you know, we it's time to just you know move on and stink. Um, to some, maybe some of it was maybe intentional, some of it was not. But like, if you're Detroit, like you already are like at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, so trading Jeremy Grant is only going to make you worse. Keeping him isn't going to make you better. It's not going to keep you from getting Kate Cunningham. So why wouldn't you want to uh, keep Jeremy Grant and continue to lose those games? So it's the only argument would be the timeline. Like we're not going, we're never going to be good while Jeremy Grant's under his contract. We're that far away, so we just rather have these young guys. And if you're Orlando, it's like it's a little better because like they're not that bad. They're they're they you know they're mediocre. They're mediocre. They've had all the injuries. Maybe they say to themselves, you know, keeping Vucevic around is going to win us too many games. You know, like, we want Jalen Green, we want Jalen Suggs, we want Kay Cunningham, or Evan Mobley, one of these guys, and we can't be that bad as long as we keep Vucevic. That's the only argument. And this is a very good draft to do that for, but, you know, I'm not trading Vucevic for pennies on the dollar, just just because I want to tank. If anything, I just, you know, come up with a fake injury, you know, or something like that, you know? So, I don't know. Yeah. No, I... I it, that's what's going to be tough with the Celtics in their position. It's finding if you're going to make a huge splash it's finding a guy that's that, that the team would feel be worthwhile to dump and, and and that they will be willing to take what you have because you know the Celtics have been the king of the assets for a long time but right now assets looking kind of shaky recently to be honest you know it's, it's not like I can just point to uh you know all these high level picks or young prospects and say you know they or even you know bloated contracts that maybe be valuable because they're on one year. Like they don't really have those. <laughs> the money is dried up now. Yeah, it's a lot of pockets, that. And look, pockets is Wick rose back. Wick, the owner Wick rose back. He said it, and you know, I mean, I don't really like. I don't like the excuse, but it is. I mean, he's being honest. He's being. He made a valid point. It was an excuse of why they're being why they're bad. But he was like, look, you know, Kyrie. Screwed us over. Now, it's not just Kyrie. Now he he's he's singling out Kyrie because of you know 
uh, for whatever reason, because he doesn't like Kyrie. But, like, he was like, look, Kyrie, we didn't expect, we didn't expect him to leave. Now, I said on the show, at the time, they should move him. You know, like, yeah. that offseason, before he left, I was like, you got to move him. You know, get Luka Doncic or something. Why Why would you hold on to this guy without a, a, a commitment? Even if he gives you a commitment. Like, you've already seen, you already proved at that point that you could win without him. So, they should have moved him. But regardless, he's like, oh, we didn't know we we know he'd leave. And we lost him for nothing. So, and, you know, you couple that with, look, you, they lost Al Horford for nothing. They lost mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward for nothing. Um, those are losses that are just hard to come back from. You know, the franchise. Yeah. As great as those picks were that they got with the with the Brooklyn pick, I would say they maximized those th- that asset. But the problem was the cash space that they also had at the same time. You know, it it, it evaporated yeah. because now the money's going to the, to the young guys. Mm-hmm. You know, had Kyrie stayed, had Hayward stayed, had Horford stayed, one of those guys, then they wouldn't be in this position. So, and they, I mean the Kemba signing. Let's be honest, Charlotte. Came out like gangbusters. Oh yeah, you gotta give yo shout out to Michael Jordan, man. I don't know how many of us clown Michael Jordan for bringing not in Rudy Kemba. And look, was it not loyal? Yeah, it wasn't the most loyal thing in the world. But was it the smart thing to do? One hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. They you much rather have Rozier and Ball now than Kemba Walker. Yeah. So you so, know it's and Gordon Hayward. They've got Gordon Hayward. Yeah, and they got the guy from the Celtics, <laughs> Gordon Hayward, um, who the guy the Celtics would, would prefer to have over Kemba Walker right now. He's not he making is. as much as Kemba. Yeah. He's making a lot, but still not as much as Kemba. <laughs> so, Charlotte looking kind of looking kind of nice with some of the moves they've made. I mean, right now, they're one of the playoff teams right now in the first half of the season. Yeah. The East is do you a want, mishmash. Do you want to go on LaMelo Ball? What do, you, what do you think about how he's played? I mean, it's one of the things to say that, you know, for the people who, again, that follow LaMelo Ball, it's like, I hate to say we told you so, but we told you so. Um, you, yeah. I mean, look, like, sometimes, look, I it's, I understand this, like, in this world, in the way we kind of, uh, we had a very long off-air conversation about sports commentary and content. I know in the way in which we digest sports, there's so much hype, so much sensationalism that just the the, the character Lamar Lamar Ball just there was a lot of reasons to just feel like there's no way this is actually real. I understood all that and I got it. Especially we went through it before with Lonzo Ball, and we had that experience. Right, we had the experience with Lonzo Ball. The difference with Lamelo was. It's like, yeah, but did you watch him play? <laughs> right. Like, I get all, I get all of the concerns. I get all of the. You don't like the flash and dash. You don't like the pops. I understand you don't like, uh, you know, some of like his 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 maturity sometimes. It's like, yeah, but did you watch him play? Because if you watched him play, you knew the boy was bad. The question was, did what do you have the maturity in his game to make the leap? Not so much an adjustment period, but the tools were all there. There's like he, the guy's a six foot seven, lightning quick point guard with elite level vision and passing ability and handles. Like it, it's the skills are the skills. The question is how do you apply them? How do you grow on them? Those are all the questions. And to be fair, he's a young player. We still, I mean, we still don't know. Like. Some of those questions about maturity still will 
continue not not to say that he's done anything to suggest that he should be questioned, but that he's got to continue to work on his game, continue to mature, so that he'll continue to get better. But I know there's a lot of people sitting around like, oh man, I really thought Lamelo was all hype. I'm like, I mean, if you did, you probably didn't watch really, really watch him. And I think the thing about me and you was we we because we're basketball nuts, we followed him since such a young age. Right. So there was a time when he was really young. Where I was kind of like, yeah, but how good is he? When he got to around yeah. 17, and he's dunking on guys at the Drew League, and you know the caliber player that's at the Drew League that's playing, and he's a 17-year-old, and he's saucing guys in that league. And like, oh, okay. And he was, you know, like you said, we follow high school basketball very, very, very mm-hmm. uh, closely, and he was legitimately one of the top players in his class. Right, you and know? he, you, you kind of see the other players in his class, and you say, he's better than almost all those guys. When you watch the other guys play, just being honest. Yeah. He might not have been playing high school or playing prep school, whatever he was doing, but knowing his game and then seeing those other guys like six foot seven point guard with his handle, his shooting ability, his passing, and ain't, too, ain't nobody like him. Had... Yeah, ain't nobody yeah. like him. Yeah. I mean, so, look, I, I'll eat some crow because, you know, I, did, I thought that it was a terrible pick. I didn't like the fit uh, in Charlotte. Um, I didn't think he'd be able to play with Graham and Rozier. Um, and I didn't think he'd be as good as he was from day one. Um, that whole Charlotte experiment seemed so combustible. Just, again, the Hayward aspect, the Lamelo aspect, the Rozier and Graham aspect, Monk coming back. It, I mean, and the fact Shout that they played Monk. such a great he, he, Monk is out. really... Really had a good year, and he's been through a lot, and he's taken on a lot of crap for the issues that self-inflicted. Yeah. But he deserves a shout out because he's he's had some really good moments this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, I feel like that team. I know this guy's gotten a lot of flack because you know some of the lineup stuff people aren't happy with. Uh, but I think James Rago deserves a lot of credit. You know, yeah, I mean, does. they. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously Lamelo has been been you know great, and Hayward's been great, and Rozier's played excellent. You know, but and people have gotten on Borrego because look, they want to see Lamelo ball in the starting lineup, and he's played better since he's been started into the starting lineup. So maybe they they maybe they were on to something. But um, to have this team where they are, given the expectations, uh, huge shout out to to Mitch Kupchak, Michael Jordan. Uh, James Borrego, and that, I mean, that whole franchise. Yeah, I mean, those you know, guys long- took a lot of arrows. All the guys you just named. It, and when they signed Hayward, that was not the conventional thing to do. It was not no. the smart thing. They knew, if we do this, like, we're going to get killed. Yeah. You know, right? And they were like, yep. But it's, it's, the, right, the, it's the right move. <laughs> it's, yeah. the, it's the right move. Where, where we are, it's the right move. And they calculated it, and they've done a brilliant job. And they deserve Hayward a lot. a terrific, and I think I, I meant I've mentioned this when they brought him in that like he's the terrific vet to have around ball, you know, they play a similar game and you know, he, 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 he's a, he's a guy that is not afraid. He doesn't want to be in the spotlight. We saw that in Boston. Like he may have thought he wanted it, but then like when, when the lights really came on, it's like, Oh, I don't know if I really want to, he kind of fades into the background. You know, he puts up buckets, he gets production, but he's, he's not afraid of like being in this LaMelo Sphere because that takes the attention off of him, of course. And you know, so there's this, there's not this like constant battle of like, oh, you have this young guy, but like, what about me? You know, Hayward. In some way, in some ways, Hayward and Ball, you're right, are like the perfect marriage. Like, right. 
It's like we need a star who can actually do the bulk of the scoring and the leadership and win, help us win games. But we need a face as well. Like Ball yeah. is is a dynamite talent, but obviously he can't be the best player on your team if you're trying to win. I mean, we could yeah. argue maybe if Charlotte should be trying to win, but right now it's working. And Hayward, as we just alluded to, probably not the best guy to be your star face of the franchise kind of guy. Not right. not not with any attention on him. And them coming together in Charlotte, also Ball taking him away from a big market where the other flashy lights of other things could maybe distract them this whole thing has worked out perfectly it's worked out yeah perfectly so you know i know nick fans have been talking about you know put some respect on nick's name and the and leon rose and tibbs and they deserve it they are right but the other franchise that we need to put put some respect on their name is charlotte you have to they're in the playoff hunt they're playing good ball they got a hell of a draft pick and the mellow ball hype is real and the last thing I'll say about Ball, and I say it all the time, whenever hoopers think a guy is good, I'm always going to really, really, really pay attention and yeah. lean on them. I don't know how many NBA hoopers kept saying, this guy LaMelo Ball is the truth. I don't know. Like, yeah. How many? Like, I, don't, I didn't see anybody that questioned him. Like, guys yeah. who play know guys who can play. And they weren't so, really saying that about Lonzo? No. Was interesting. They were not. Um, but, like... Because I always questioned, you know, as a scout, like, you're always, you're just questioning, like, all right, like, you know, are they just saying this because, you know, he's the most, no, like, do they, have they watched Anthony Edwards? Do they even know who Anthony Edwards is? But they were, <laughs> clearly, clearly these people were right. Like, they saw a skill level that a lot of people missed. And the other thing that confirmed me was about his readiness, given it, the, the stats in Australia were so was so chaotic. <laughs> He's put yeah. up numbers, but the percentages were, were abysmal. Yeah, so some, of this, I mean, yeah, some of this stuff was just like, they didn't even look real, some of the numbers he was putting up. Right. And then good and bad, you know? Yeah. Like 14%. So I, I, like, I didn't know what to make of a guy, like, you know, shooting like 20% from the field, right. but he was averaging like 18 points. And, but, like, he was, but that, that shot making that he displayed at times has transferred over immediately which i didn't think i thought it would take time i thought it would eventually and it's transferred over immediately so the the one thing that i think no i was gonna say the one thing i I would say and something we talk about as well when you're evaluating these draft guys man the defense overseas is better yes it is it's better than the nba like i don't mean you said it you like this is easier I, i don't necessarily mean like the individual athletic defense. I'm talking about just the attention to detail, the lock-in, the lock-in yeah. kind of defense. Like they just they play with more defense overseas than they do here. It's just how many guys we have to see They're go overseas right. and say, "Oh man, like he didn't. He his numbers look kind of suspect. He didn't look that good." And then they come over here and they're scoring with ease. You can go back to Brandon Jennings, terrible overseas, comes to America is second month in his, in his career, he scores 55 points. And they're like, how do you do yeah. that? It's like, defense isn't that yeah, good over thinking. here. Yeah. It's just not, it's not, <laughs> the defense in the NBA is just not that great. It's, you know, and again, the guys, may, they're more athletic. They are, you know, faster, bigger, and stronger, but I don't know. I couldn't explain you why, but it just isn't. So I think sometimes we got to take a lot of those numbers in terms of like guys with high skill level, but maybe don't, 
aren't very efficient overseas, sometimes we got to take it with a grain of salt. Like, they, they adjust into a new game, new country, new way, style of play, and then these teams are actually guarding them. Like, really guarding them. So, yeah, man, uh, shout out to Lamella Ball and uh, the, the, uh, the the Charlotte Hornets. I did want to ask you. Mentioned- you mentioned. Okay. Right, go ahead. Oh, yeah, okay. No, I just want to say, I did want to no. mention. <laughs> We're both going back and forth. What do you want to say? I'll let you go. No, no, I'll be segue to a different anyway. So okay, I'll, I'll let me do my going. segue then. I have a bold, I have an interesting question. And it's not a question I posed, but it's a question someone else posed. And I had a tweet. I put it out there. Maybe it was provocative. I don't know. Someone asked, "Man, wouldn't a Suns Clippers series in the playoffs be fun?" And we talked about Suns a couple weeks ago, and I told you I was more bullish on them than you were. And after what I've seen yeah. recently, I'm gonna say this again. What I said on Twitter, the Suns are getting the Clippers out of here in the playoffs. They play in the they play in the playoffs. The Suns are getting the Clippers uh, out of here. That would Clippers. be a, that. I mean, that would be a terrific series. I mean, clearly Booker and Paul George, despite having the same agency, uh, don't like each other very much. No. Um, Chris Paul hates definitely certainly feisty. Yeah, he'll find he'll find, the, like he'll, find he'll find the tunnels. Tunnels to go scrapping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that would be that would be an excellent series. The Suns played excellent basketball. There's not much, there's not much bad you can say about them right now. Um, it's like weird. Like the only know, loss they've had, the loss that they've had in recent, have been these weird losses. Like that loss to Charlotte and that loss to Nets when they were up by almost thirty. Like otherwise, they're killing everyone else. Like they could have won like fourteen straight. Like with how they've played. Yeah, they could have won all these games and, they played in the last. Two months or a month and a half, and as surprising as this is for a lot of people, and my myself included, like at the same time, this is the team they were in the bubble. So yeah. I mean, how should we really be that shocked when we've yeah. seen them play this way before? Um, and now they have Chris Paul. Yeah, and then you add Chris Paul, you trade Rubio for Chris Paul, essentially, and. I mean, look, look where you're at. Well, not essentially. They did trade him for, for his ball. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, to me, this is, you know, and it's it's, it's interesting because, like, Devin Booker is, is their best player. Should have made the All-Star game ahead of Chris Paul, but uh, <laughs> they're both in now, so neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not really – they're not really playing this well because of Devin Booker. Like, Devin Booker is the guy who he's always been. Yeah, and I and I always say this about those. There's a certain level of player that doesn't that can't single handedly like win games for you. That's most players in the league. There's a select few guys that yeah, can. Yeah, there's only a few guys that can that can do that. Yeah, you know, LeBron is typically the guy you think about that. No matter what team he's on, like, you're gonna play. Devin Booker is a, a tier or two below that where he, you know, needs help. He's players. He's coaching around him. If you put him in that situation. Like Anthony Davis, like we're gonna look at this guy totally different. And Devin Booker now, after years of losing, and you know, two, three years ago, you know, saying that you know I'm never gonna miss the playoffs again, and he misses the playoffs again. And finally, he's gotten his. He's playing on a team that he's got talent around him. They've they're extremely well coached, um, and you know he doesn't have to do everything, and he's getting from the wings. I was gonna um, say this team is to me is really perfectly built for today's NBA. The versatility they have oh, yeah. with Bridges, Sarich, 
Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder and even Frank Kaminsky. I mean, just yeah. switchability, guys that can play multiple positions, guard multiple positions. Like, it's, it's perfectly built for the day and age in the NBA. You need, you need as many of those kind of guys as possible, and it seems like the Suns have, like, all of them. Like they, and they all do different, slightly different things, but they all bring something to the table. It's a yeah. really well put together yeah. roster. James Jones is um, Yeah, James Jones. Yeah, he did an excellent job putting that team together. Um, it's funny, and I know you'll 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 say uh, what you think about the Suns, but like the Clippers, man, they just feel like they're missing something, and they're missing a point they guard. The move, they are missing a point guard, and then but the the, the what was the big move they made in the offseason? The big move they made in the offseason, besides moving on from Doc Rivers, was acquiring Luke Kennard, who's been mediocre. Like he's not even in the rotation. He's not in the rotation now. Yeah, and that is just—I mean—that that can't happen. You can't make a move like that on draft night and end up with a guy that 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 can't even consistently get minutes for you. I don't know what happened. I mean, I feel like he's if, the, if all I mean, the teams. I feel like all the teams could do it over Kendall. Nobody would have done that trade. But the way Shamus played yeah, in Brooklyn, the way he wasn't as played in, I think all of them would be like, no, can we just get our guys back and just pretend that didn't happen? Because <laughs> no one's really happy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess Detroit. Who, they, who they, 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 Sadiq Bay. Yeah, Detroit's, Detroit's they're ecstatic. Yeah, because they got the extra pick. They too, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure Brooklyn, the team that actually got, you know, tangible players in that trade, Brooklyn and, and the Clippers, they would had to be like, hey, you know what, let's, let's pretend that didn't happen. You know, because. Yeah, imagine Brooklyn had a Sadiq Bay or a. Isaiah Stewart. Like, that guy could help them. Yeah. I know. You know? And, and look, we were saying that during our draft war room. We weren't saying, oh, you got to trade this pick for a role player. I mean, they, they, like, we said at the time that, oh, this pick for Brooklyn, you can get a guy who long-term can really help you. You need some youth sometimes coming off the bench. And, I mean, the way yeah, Kyrie and Durant think. It's, it's hard to, like, really fault. Brooklyn for where they are right now because they're playing so well. But yeah, I mean, Shamit has, I don't know what's wrong with him, but he just, he's, he, he's just, he's not shooting the way he, he shot his entire career. And he hasn't really found yeah. a great rhythm with this new team and a struggle. And again, Kennard has having the worst year of his career. It's, it's really bizarre. Yeah. And Kennard, look, I mean, he right now is shaping up like a, the classic version of a looter in a riot. Yes. You know, he's put up numbers on an awful team. And I, you know, idiots like me thought, oh, 15 points in Detroit. I mean, you know, Cooper's getting another high level score. Right. But, you know, I mean, he's putting up numbers on a bad team. So yeah. I, I don't know. You so know, to me, it, I mean, so, it's, so I come back yeah. to my original point that the Suns would watch the Clippers in the playoff series. I mean, it'd probably go six games, but they're beating the Clippers. Um, they don't have enough. Denver. You say they're beating Denver too? No, no, like you're you're saying it'd be essentially a repeat of the Denver. Yes, it would. It would be the same situation. Yeah. People would be the Clippers have the names. The Phoenix is a better team right now. They're deeper. They have more guys, and they have the to me they match up great because you got Bridges and Crowder, multiple guys that can guard those wings from the from the from the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers don't have a point guard. Chris Paul is annihilating that matchup. I mean, I, I don't. I, that that's a terrible matchup. I mean, it was a, it was an interesting question it was posed, but when I thought about it, I was like, I, I, the Clippers don't want any smoke with the Suns. Like a lot of times, it's all about matchups. That's just a bad one. 
the Clippers may be able to beat other teams. They actually match up much better with the Lakers. I mean, and I say much better, I mean, of course, the Lakers are a better team than the Suns. But just in terms of just like what we do well and what they do well and how that matches up with us, they they feel better about what they can do against the Lakers to me than they would they do against the Suns. They might be able to beat the Suns just out of talent, but it's gonna it would take to me a, a hellacious kind of effort from Kawhi and Paul George to, to beat the Suns. Or the Suns just wouldn't be ready for the moment. That's the other thing you can't anticipate either. Like maybe they're not like Denver, where in that moment they don't rise up. You know what I'm saying? Like But Yeah, yeah the, the Clippers they need to they need to acquire a point guard. I don't know if there really is a guy out there for them. And you know, it's like they're not a bad team. I mean, they they put together a solid season. They're in the mix of the top three. Well, I don't know if the West. Man, but Jared Jack uh, can still play. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. I don't know if Jared Jack's the answer. <laughs> what they, they have, <laughs> but uh, but no, they, the the point guard problem is a is a problem for the Clippers. So, do you think you Blake Griffin? Sorry, go ahead. Before I get to Blake Griffin. No, I'll let you. No, I say, do you think Blake Griffin can help somebody? Apparently, his buyout's imminent. I do, man. Look, I, mean, I already mentioned the Celtics. I'm hoping he ends up a Celtic. I mean, I like Blake Griffin. He's a funny guy, you know. So maybe I'm biased, but uh, I think he's. I think. I, I mean, I. 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 He's been awful in Detroit. Let's put it out there. Like, yeah. at least this season, he's been awful. Um, he hasn't ducked since 2019. <laughs> we get all that. But what I will say is that look, Blake Griffin is the kind of personality where I could see him. Giving the Detroit thing a try. He didn't want to be there. We know he didn't want to be in Detroit. You spend your entire career in L.A. There's no way you want to be traded to a bad team in Detroit, Michigan. But he, he gave it a try. He played well initially. But I think it's worn on him. And I think when you're a guy he's never won anything, and you see your peers, quote-unquote, guys like Curry and guys like Durant, who were once at it, you know, he was at their level, and now they're competing for championships. Like, he's similar. he's in a similar spot to Kevin Love. That Kevin Wilson was in last year, and the, the difference is that at least Kevin won a championship. At this point, like he doesn't, I don't think he really cares much at all. Um, Blake Griffin hasn't even won a championship, so I think he, I think he checked out. And I think also he looked at his contract situation and was like, the only way I can get out of here is if I'm like, yeah, awful. I'm not saying like, I'm, he's in, I'm, he's like, I'm in, I'm in hell. <laughs> I'm in hundred fifty yeah. million dollar hell. <laughs> yeah, like I could play well, or but if I play well, then I'm stuck here. You know, and we're not going to win any games regardless. And he's never going to play so, well I mean, enough. He's never played well. He's never going to play well enough where it would it would warrant a team making a trade for him. No, yeah, exactly. That contract is, is abysmal regardless right. of how well he's playing. So he was stuck, and I don't think he came in in shape. I don't think he came in ready to play. I don't think he cared much. And now, look, if if, if his grand plan was to play bad so that he can get out, it, it's working. Masterfully, because if I mean a buyout wouldn't have been talked about, <laughs> you know, a year ago. But um, that's where we're at, and we'll see if there is something left in the tank. But he—he's not like—he's not a player that has no skills. Cause that's the thing. People always said with Blake Griffin, oh, when he loses the hops, like what happens? But he—he's developed game. You don't just lose that because of knee injuries. Like, but it goes beyond skills. to me, yeah. I mean, to me, Kendall, again, we could talk about whether or not he's dogging it. It, it goes beyond, like, his skill level. Because I agree. He's not, he's not this non-skilled player. Maybe people thought he was earlier in his career. But, you know, it's like when Charles Barkley talks about, you know, when he realized he had to, you know, in order to get his shot off, he was pump faking a million times. That's when he realized it's time to hang it up. He couldn't just rise right. above anybody to shoot or do anything. That's 
what Britt Griffin looks like to me. It just looks like the guy has skills, but he doesn't have the speed or the explosiveness to do anything that's going to make a threat against the defense. Like, again, we can't tell, does a guy get rejuvenated in another city? It definitely could happen. I'm just, I'm only going by what I see. I see a guy who just seems like he's lost more than just one step. He looks like he's lost two. And he just doesn't have enough burst to really get any of his offensive stuff off. That's what it looks like to me. So, and then the other question is like, is he? Can he be a rotation piece? Or like, if we're asking him to say like, oh, can he be like the third option on a on a series contender? Like, no, you know, it's like what well, you. It's the conversation you had to have about Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony, that's like, what I was thinking. You know, there's a difference between like, can Carmelo be Carmelo? Can Carmelo be in the league? That was always the thing. It was like, I don't know. And the 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 deciding factor was always. Well can, well, can Carmelo ever accept not being Carmelo? Or, you know, and right. in Portland, he has. In other spots, he couldn't. You know, in Portland, he finally accepted. I'm the seventh best player on the team. You know, I'm fine with that. And he's actually played better than people expected. Now he's maybe one of the three or four best players on their team. But, like, Blake Griffin is going to have to accept that he's not going to be one of the two or three best players on the team. It's going to be five, six, seven, you know, in terms of getting the shots. If you go to a place like Boston or a place like Miami, he's not going to be getting those kind of shots. He's going to be a rotation piece. Maybe he's starting, maybe he's not. Is he okay with that? You know, and that's the that's the conversation he's going to have to have with himself. Um, and his people are going to have to have with him, like, what, what do you want for your career? Because if not, then he should hang it up because he's never going to be a guy on a good team that, that's ever – you know, commanding shots anymore. Like, that, that phase of his career is over. Um, what did you make of the firing of Lloyd Pierce? Lloyd Pierce and uh, whatchamacallit? And obviously, Ryan Saunders as well. Ryan Saunders you know, yeah, was fired. Yeah. We didn't get to do a podcast since he got fired. Um, that was controversial, obviously, because they, you know, <laughs> bypassed David Vanderpool. Yeah, they decided to go straight to uh, Chris, uh, Chris Finch. Um I mean, should the NBA get a Rooney rule? I mean, this is if there's any a reason why to do it. Uh, there's not like their coaching issue is any better than the NFL's right now. Um, so they certainly certainly something they have to consider uh, when teams are doing stuff like that. But um, on the on the Lloyd Pierce thing, look, I mean, we talked about the Suns and the Suns and the Hawks were the two teams that people had the highest expectations for in terms of making a jump this season, and. There were people that thought that the Hawks would be the Suns East and in terms of what the Suns are now. And, I mean, I always thought that was ludicrous because I thought their drafting of Onyeko Kangu was, it wasn't an awful pick. And, look, that was always a long-term kind of thing. But I just thought it was a waste of an asset, you know, because <laughs> you have a center and click a fellow. The center position nowadays is not that important. So getting a guy in Okongu to be a backup big, on a team that, like, was already terrible and has other holes, to me, didn't make any sense. I always said they should draft Tyree Talbert, and I wasn't even the biggest fan of Tyree Talbert. But they've continued with this thing of Trey Young playing a certain brand of basketball. And until they get him out of playing that brand of basketball that includes him dribbling 90% of the possession, which John Collins called out, apparently, you know, in the locker yeah. room. And, yeah, apparently, you know, him and Young and, and Pierce had friction over over the way the team is being handled. Yeah. You know, like, I to me, that had to change. And and I said at the time, 
I wasn't looking at Schlenk and Pierce as much as I was looking at Trey Young. Because Trey Young wanted Tyrese Halliburton. They would have got him. <laughs> you know? I mean, if he wanted another backward mate that was going to share uh, the ball, they would have got him. You know, if De'Aaron Fox didn't want Tyrese Halliburton, he probably could have put his foot down and said, no, nah, we should probably get Aaron Neesmith. I need a shooter. I don't need another point guard. But De'Aaron Fox was was cool with him drafting the best player available. Now, I mean, I look, I don't know. I'm not saying Trey Young making personnel decisions. And he's the reason why they didn't draft Tyrese Halliburton. But, you know, some of that is going on all these guys. Lloyd Pierce... I think he is the fall guy in this situation. Has he done a good job? Absolutely not. Um, but at the same time, and while the roster appears to have talent, I don't think any of it makes any sense. You've got DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter. It, like, they're trying to build this Golden State East thing, and it, it mm-hmm. it's it's impossible to replicate. <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, Trey Young's a great start. He's a close thing to Curry that we've seen since Curry. But... Like, I mean, you would, I mean, Kevin Herter is supposed to be Clay Thompson. Does he give you the defensive value? I mean, you don't have a Draymond Green. Draymond Green's an impossible player to replicate as well. You know, and I like Cam Reddish, and DeAndre Hunter has actually played well, so it's not like those are bad picks, but it just feels like, like, why have those guys and John Collins, who clearly, like, is lost in the shuffle, even though he's your second-best player, <laughs> he doesn't feel appreciated. Yeah. If you draft two or three players at his position in the last two years, so I don't. I mean, I don't know where I don't know where that team's going, but Lloyd Pierce was the fall guy. It's unfortunate. We've seen other coaches like Brett Brown be in situations where their team stomp and got chances. Lloyd Pierce didn't get those chances, and it happened. Not every coach does. Brett Brown obviously was in an extremely bad situation. I don't think this situation was that bad, but you know, hopefully Lloyd Pierce. I think he'll he'll land on his feet somewhere. Probably he'll be on a staff somewhere next season if he wants to. Uh, and then from there, you know, you got to work your, work, work your way back to back to the bench. And shout out to Lloyd Pierce for all the work he did in the Atlanta community and the work he did in, you know, getting people involved in the election. Uh, Woj put that out in his tweet after he was fired. And I think that was important to note because he was uh, really a champion in that community and just doing the right thing for people. But uh, when it came to this, look, I, I, I feel like we've talked about it. Like, uh, I watched him last year and I was like, yo. This Lloyd Pierce thing, I don't, I don't know, and I hate to say that because you know, whenever you have African American coaches and them getting the quick hook, and we know all the issues that stand by that. You know, you don't want to see a guy get the quick hook, but sometimes you can just see something is not working, and again, you can't fire all the players, so and all the players are super young, so you gotta let them develop. It's like they're not listening to this guy, and when I read that art, uh, athletic article, and you see just how much. Trey Young and some of the players in that team seem to just be tuning him out. It wasn't surprising because you watched them play, and that's how they, they play like they're tuning him out. Like, they, like they no identity, just no interest in playing defense. Like, these, these are all things that, you know, nothing that will reflect someone like Lloyd Pierce. So I, 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 feel, I feel bad because I just felt like this was a no-win situation for him given where everything was. But I, I just... I, at the Atlanta Hawks, they just miscalculated this offseason, man. Like, the, I mean, the good news is they didn't do any dumb trades. But, you know, they signed Gallinari, who's a good player, who did just, just not be on this team. <laughs> you know, I mean, didn't he have like 40 every night or whatever he had? Uh, he has these nights every now and then where he plays great. And you're like, why is he on this team? Like, he, he used to be a role player on a team that's trying to win. Like, he doesn't 
this team is, is a team that's developing and is trying to grow, you need to be getting these other young guys more time. Uh, you know, they, they, the Vadonovich thing is just not worked out at all. So they're kind of this weird mishmash of, like, players who or were they brought in to kind of win now but haven't really produced at the level they would have liked. And then young guys who are playing pretty okay. Like, I think DeAndre Hunter's had a sensational season. I think that he's – you talk about young players that kind of follow this year. I think that he's one of the best storylines because um, I think a lot of people looked at the, the first year with him. They were kind of like, eh, we'll see. A lot, You know, Cam Reddish, because of the name recognition in the Duke and the high school career, has kind of always been kind of the apple of people's eye. But DeAndre Hunter looks like a player. Uh, but despite that, they, they, they still look like they don't got no sense. So – it's weird to see Nate McMillan become the coach, and I know it's only an interim basis, but to me, if you're doing Golden State East, he's the last person you would hire. Like, right. Because, you know, he just got canned from Indiana, even though he was winning a lot, because they thought his, his stuff was outdated. So, I don't know, and apparently he was reluctant to even take the job uh, after Lloyd got fired. But PR wise, I don't think they could have gone to anybody else. <laughs> but I agree with that. I'm just I agree with that. Totally. There's no argument yeah. for me on that. I'm saying just from a basketball purely standpoint. And I think that yeah. I, I think that he's the actually the right guy for this job. Like right. not get it twisted. He's the exact kind of voice they need to be hearing. Um because <laughs> it's just after you know, what they've been like Yeah, but it's just it's just more of what they don't want. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if Lloyd Pierce was was a guy who was a stickler for playing the right way and paying attention to detail, especially on the defensive end, and that was wearing thin on guys, <laughs> Nate McMillan just like, just like just double up on that. I mean, that's what that's all. That's his life. That's how he was as a player. That's how he has been as a coach. That's why he's been successful. And that's what they need to hear because these guys haven't accomplished anything, and they don't really have any any say to be like, oh, we should be playing this way or that way. Like they they should be listening to an old school guy and kind of understanding what it takes to be a winning team. So it, he actually is the right guy, but I don't know if he'll have the support of the front office and he's not, I don't know if he's, I don't think he's got the support of the players. So that's what's so weird about this Atlanta thing is that like I, the coach they have in a vacuum, I think would be the perfect coach for a team like this. But seeing as it's a locker room of young guys who is not afraid to get coaches fired, they feel like they have enough clout in this league to do that. And in the front office, that seems to be bought in on, like, developing these young guys in this modern NBA of positions basketball and countless threes. The, the guy that's now running the team is a guy that was fired because they didn't think he was doing enough of that in Indiana. So it's a weird situation in Atlanta, a team that people had high hopes for. And, again, the East is so weird. It's not like their season's completely over. Almost everyone is in it in the East because of just the nature of the standings. The difference between the fourth seed and the and like the the twelfth seed is like two and a half games, so it's not that they're out of it, but you just haven't seen really enough consistent play to make you feel confident that they they can make that leap into the top ten uh, and make a run, which is what they hope for with all the money they spent. So it's, it's a very weird situation all around in Atlanta. Um, I think that was a good wrap up of the league. Uh, <laughs> we should uh, we should get to. Some other stuff uh, this week. So, real quickly, J.J. Watt agrees to sign in Arizona. How it all happened was a little strange, Kendall, because there was a Peloton account, claimed to be J.J. Watt, that had a list of teams that were listed in his bio. It was like Green Bay, Buffalo, and like someone else. 
And people thought that, oh, he's announcing the team, last three teams that he's thinking about. Which was so bizarre, because it's just like, like, why would J.J. Watt, like the guy who does everything right, do such a me-first kind of thing? Like, like th- this is yeah. like a... This is like a Chad Ochocinco kind of like, you know, or Trevor Bauer kind of like move. This is not something <laughs> you would accompany with someone like J.J. Watt. So then, of course, the next day or maybe even that same day, it was very soon afterwards, he posted a picture of himself working out in the Arizona Cardinals gear saying, you know, the source, me, which was, you know, really dope way to announce you're going to a team and tell everybody that they're all wrong to be following a fake Peloton uh, account. But... Do you think J.J. Watt has enough to make Arizona interesting? No, he had he had a really good year in 2019. 2020, the whole Texans team had a bad year. He didn't necessarily have a great year. He's making pretty decent money for these two seasons. We've seen older players go to Arizona and have resurgences. I don't want to say he's old, but, I mean, he is 31 years old. You would think the best, his best years are probably behind him. Arizona's trying to they, – they're, they're trying to – to get rich quick. They're trying to build a contender, you know, in the next few years. Does this, does this, this yeah. move the needle? This is fascinating to me. You know, this Watt thing, because, I mean, look, you mentioned it. J.J. Watt in and of himself isn't a needle mover from, like, non-contender to, like, Super Bowl team. Um, you know, again, he, I mean, historically, I mean, he's one of the best defensive players in NFL history, but uh, he wasn't that last season. Um, he was still, uh, still a disruptor, but I mean, not the not the defensive three time in a row defensive player of the year that he was. Uh, perennial. I, I don't think we've ever. I don't think we've ever truly put into context how great JJ Watt was in his prime. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, 100%. He he's one of the best defensive players I've ever seen. And and you know, and I watched he, a lot I mean, of football. He was almost thirty, almost thirty years old. Yeah. He just, you know, I mean, it happens. You know, guys, great individual talents like that sometimes end up on teams that just can't can't compete. Um, yeah, I saw Terrell Owens talking about Calvin Johnson shouldn't have got in over Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne and shout out to those guys because they should be in the Hall of Fame. But, yes, they both should you know, be, but come on. He also, Calvin Johnson wasn't playing with Kurt Warner or Peyton Manning <laughs> or Marvin Harrison or Isaac Bruce or yeah. Marshall Fall, Edwin James. But regardless... Uh, back to J.J. Watt, um, this this Cardinals thing is interesting because I feel like, to me, this what I think this is what what's happening. I haven't seen anybody say this, but I think what's happening is the Cardinals um, and, and GM Steve Kime, I think they are instituting their Bucks strategy, not Bucks strategy, but I think this is the Bucks experiment. They're in a kind of a similar situation to where the Bucks were last year. Difference is obviously not going to get Tom Brady. But, like, they have talent. They've got guys that you're like, man, this team, uh, if, it, like, if they can kind of, you know, get some winning pedigree and figure it out. Like, they've got, a ta- they've got enough talent, top-end talent to compete. They just have to fill a lot of holes. And the Bucks last season filled a ton of holes. And they just brought in a lot of guys with name, a name and a pedigree. Um, and the biggest of that being Tom Brady. Um, and won them some games. I think the difference, like the like the the holes that the Bucks had on on offense that were filled by like you know five like 
Hall of Fame talents, you know, they decided to bring in, you know, yeah. like, or like pro, all pro talents, like Fournette and, you know, AB and Gronk and Brady, like, as well as drafting guys like Tyler Johnson um, and Tristan Wirth. Like, to me, like, the Cardinals are, they need it on defense. Like, they have the offense. The, the, the Bucks had the, the defense to win it all last year, you know. Right. They just turned the ball over too much. The offense was too erratic, yeah. you know, and they, they, that that <laughs> you're not going to be nearly as erratic on offense when you have Tom Brady. Um, yeah. So, and the the Cardinals, like, they have the offense to win a Super Bowl. And this is, this makes their draft so interesting because coming into, you know, this offseason, the thing was, look, they've got to get weapons. They, not even weapons. They got to get help on defense. They got to get guys that you can, that you can plug some of those major holes they have. And one of them was on the line. Yes. And so they were guys that you could talk about, you know, the Jalen Phillipses of the world, or Gregory Rousseau's or Quiddy Pay from Michigan guys. Mm-hmm. That I know you're familiar with two Miami guys, obviously yep. that, you know, like those guys would help fill a hole for them, but does that get them to that Super Bowl level? And maybe it does, but at the time it was like, probably not. But if you add JJ Watt to fill that hole, now that gives them the flexibility to now maybe you could fill another hole in your defense. Um, maybe in the secondary, if you lose Patrick Peterson, like they were talking about getting rid of Chandler Jones. Now you're going to keep Chandler Jones, pair him with JJ Watt. Maybe you keep Patrick Peterson. And you still got Hassan uh, Reddick. You still have Hassan Reddick. Um, obviously they drafted Isaiah Simmons last year. Like now the defense is starting to come together. You have Buda Baker, like the defense is starting to come together and they still have a ton of cap space. That's why they were able to make this move and pay Watt maybe a premium off of what he's worth. Those other teams that are contenders, Watt was a team is contender, but those teams didn't have the cap to pay him. Um, but what makes this team so unique is like we've seen, and it's the theory we've talked about on this show plenty of time. When you've got a quarterback that's a rookie that's on a rookie deal that you know, you yeah, feel you is good enough it. for a championship. Like mm-hmm. you got to maximize it. Yeah, you know the Cardinals are going to stink in four years when Murray's making like a hundred million dollars. Right. <laughs> like, I don't think you can build a team around Kyler Murray at least at this stage. And he's going to single handedly win you championships. Just like Russell Wilson isn't is really that guy. There's very few quarterbacks like that. Um, I don't know if there's any. You know, Mahomes may be the only one. But regardless, like. This is the this is the window for them to win a championship. So you get a guy Hopkins last year. Now you're getting Watt, and I think this isn't the end for the Arizona Cardinals. I think this is just the beginning. Um, you know, the draft they can be very creative. Or look, because you get a Watt. Now look, I subscribe to the theory that I think their offense is good enough to win a championship. So you've got to shore up the defense. Um, I think what we saw in the playoffs was at least in the Super Bowl was you had a matchup. You, you had a matchup that featured one team that had more holes than the other. The team that had the least amount of holes won. You know, like, the the Chiefs consistently made a strength of strength. Like, even in last year's draft, they could have gotten a safer – you could have went with a safer pick and got a guy on defense. Yeah. It could have helped, you know, because they had a bunch of guys on defense that probably shouldn't have been starters on a championship team. Like, but they got Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who's great, but did, they, did that help them at all? Like, it didn't help them in Super no, Bowl. No, they would have went there without yeah, Clyde Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, if, you know, if they would have drafted Antoine Winfield or somebody, maybe their defense would have been would have would have would have done a better job in that Super Bowl. So the Bucks, on the other hand, they could have gotten Clyde over the layer. I I wanted them to draft DeAndre Swift at the time. I'm thinking, oh, Brady with DeAndre Swift, you know how dangerous that would be. And you know what they did? They drafted Tristan Wirth. Now, to be fair, he fell. 
but also like not an exciting pick, but he filled the hole that they had, which was that <laughs> they were going to protect Tom Brady. And to me, like that's how I think the Cardinals should build this team. And we'll see whether or not that's that's what that's the direction they go. But again, they could go Chiefs and say, look, 16, we're going to have Najee Harris. Yeah, 16 is a little high for a running back, but if our offense had Najee Harris, Kyler Murray, and DeAndre Hopkins, how are you going to stop us? So they have that luxury, or they can protect Kyler Murray. You know, there are also some linemen they could look at. So bevy of options for the Cardinals, but I think this is very interesting. I think they're they're one of the more interesting teams to follow, I think, this offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for Watt to have a bit of a resurgence. I think that out of Houston, I think I, – one thing I will say, I think the Arizona uh, – it's funny, we always talk about the Phoenix Suns and the medical staff. I think the Arizona's medical staff has been outstanding over the, the course of many years. I don't know how many older players have gone there and just looked great, played great, and they've kept them upright and kept them healthy. Uh, Watts had some injury issues the last few years, too. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out and he has a, has a, has a good year. I'm not saying he's going to you know get 20 sacks again like he, he was doing you know six, seven years ago, but I, w- I would not be surprised if he, he ends up having – uh, a borderline Pro Bowl caliber season. I think this was uh, a good risk. I think, to me, more than anything else, the, the Cardinals, to me, look like they... Because, you know, a lot of people were super excited about them. You were one of them. I wasn't as excited about them in terms of championship or deep playoff run. One of the reasons is, you know, uh, I didn't think they had enough locker room credibility. You know, sometimes you need locker room credibility in terms of, like, carrying yourself as winners, carrying yourself as a team that is expecting to do a lot and, and, and be star players and perform on every Sunday. They didn't have a lot of those guys. They had some good individual guys. But I didn't know who the leader was of that team. Uh, Baker's a great player, and he's he's a great leader, but he's a young guy. He hasn't won anything. It's not Look, Watt played for the Texans, so it's not like the guys won a ton. But the guy has uh, been you know, the face of a franchise for a decade, He's uh, one man of the year. He's been defensive player of the year. The guy's accomplished a lot. He walks in the locker room, even if he hasn't won anything in the playoffs, you're going to listen to him. You got like, yeah. he's just, it's a different aura. The guy's going, he's, he's a future gold jacket kind of guy. They didn't, now DeAndre is that guy too, but it's just, it's, it's, it's different, I think, because Watt doing it longer in Houston. Like he, he predates Hopkins. Um, and I think, you know, Hopkins, again, great talent. I don't know if we ever consider him a great leader. The smear campaign that Houston did on him was outrageous. He wasn't any of the things they tried to make him out to be. But still, I don't think anybody looked at him and said, oh, he's a leader of men or he's, he's a, a guy that, you know, is going to inspire people. He's just a, a dog. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and they needed someone like Watt, someone who comes in with credibility. I think with, with Watt and that team – Add him with Fitzgerald, both of those guys now leading an offense, leading a defense. Now, I think they start to look a little more serious next year. I think that they are a team that you got to consider to be dangerous. And Russell Wilson probably can't wait to get the hell out of Seattle. That's why he keeps trying <laughs> to say as nicely as he can, can you please move move, move on from me? Because uh, it's becoming scary hours in the, uh, in the NFC West with the way these teams are developing. We know San Francisco is going to be back healthy this year. Uh, last few things before we get out of here, Kendall, two stories I wanted to quickly talk about, and it kind of, to me, just speaks to just a level of, uh, lack of accountability we have in college sports. So the first being, um, the situation over at Creighton. So Greg McDermott, if you guys don't know, he is the 
head coach of um, Creighton University, uh, Creighton University basketball. He had to publicly apologize for what he called an awful mistake when during his um, during during his uh, his post game speech after a loss, he told the players that they need to quote stay on the plantation. Um, he he was trying. He said he was trying to make an analogy to people sticking together, and the quote that he said he he, he referenced and he literally the full quote. So it must someone must have recorded it. Uh, he said, "Guys, we got to stick together. We need both feet in. I need everybody to stay on the plantation. I can't have anybody leave the plantation." Clearly, uh, this wasn't this didn't go over well. Um, Creighton's assistant coach Terrence Rencher, who was black, had tweeted that. Uh, he was deeply hurt by uh, by McDermott's word. McDermott apparently had offered his resignation, which is fascinating to me. The truth behind it or the seriousness behind it may be questionable, but he is saying that that happened, and they refused, and that there's word that the players still want him around. But this is obviously very disturbing. Um, I I know I've played college, not not play college basketball, played decent level high school basketball played basketball throughout my entire life never I played sports a lot of my life never heard the term in terms of a team sticking together to everybody staying off two feet in the plantation just not something I don't the term plantation I've only seen used regarding slavery so that was a highly disturbing incident he did still coach the next game which was a stunning to me uh, and they got smashed by Villanova. Not surprising, given the distraction that he says that he created, which is accurate uh, for what happened. And then over uh, in college football, over at LSU, the the reports of their investigation into issues with Les Miles were revealed. And, man, there are some really disturbing things in this report. So apparently uh, West, Les Miles was banned from... Uh, contacting female students after a 2013 internal investigation found that uh, that My- that uh, Miles had uh, you know uh, kissed one of a, a female student um, that he had he had been accused of texting female students taking them to his condo uh, all very disturbing things apparently he's made them very uncomfortable in a lot of these instances. There was also, to me, a disturbing note that was uh, a little later in some of these articles because it's not some of the more salacious things, but a lot of these things are salacious. Uh, and again, the one where Miles is kissing a student is just really disturbing. But there's one also where, where he, he wanted to ensure that people who came, who worked for the athletic department, who were female, who you know welcomed recruits, were, uh, were, were blonde and fit and attractive. And if they were not, he wanted them either fired or uh, given way fewer hours in the athletic department. Uh, after all of this investigation that came out, uh, or all their findings, they decided that, uh, they said, hey, Herb, I'm assuming, uh, not Urban Meyer, don't want to tie him to this. Uh, Les Miles, don't do it again. And don't talk to female students. And that was all that happened. He still coached for for several more years before he eventually was fired, not because of anything involving this stuff. It was for what happened on the field. 
What can these two stories? What 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 when you heard about them? What was your initial reaction? And what should uh, be done about McDermott at Creighton and then Les Miles who's now at Kansas? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it. So the McDermott situation is tough. You know, again, you you have your doubts about whether or not he really offered up his resignation. You know, but then at the same time you think about like, I mean, would he lie about that? I mean, Mike Norvell apparently lied about a similar kind of thing, and you know he was called out. So I mean, I would imagine if he was lying about that, and like, or the players were all unanimous and that they wanted him back, like someone would challenge that. But I don't know. You know, I mean, you never you never truly know. Um, so like you said, that's kind of left up, left up to, uh, your own interpretation and left up into the ether. Um, I mean, look, I agree in terms of what you said about like, just the, the, like who says that to me, when you're talking about Greg McDermott, like to me, like if I'm firing him, it's not only because of, uh, using the, 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 the analogy of a plantation, but it's also just such a low IQ, low, like composure thing to do. To not have any presence of mind to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't use this analogy. Maybe I should be a little more careful with what I'm saying uh, in in all situations. Yeah. Like to me, I mean, it, that that like to, that that can't be that that specific analogy is not something that is a slip of the tongue unless it's something that you say you said normally. Like, when people talk about the Washington football team and they refer to them as their old name, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that that's intentional. You know, of I think to, for the most part, you know, that is uh, something that you've called them your your entire life. Some people, yeah. 40 years, 60 years, and you have to get used to it. It's a, it's a, new, it's a new thing that stops you, especially when they haven't really rebranded their name uh, officially. They haven't picked another nickname. So that's different. But when you say that, that's like, that's not something anybody says, unless... You said like that's you're like the reason like people mess up on Washington is because for years they've said it, uh, and it's been in their it's been in their brain. So unless that's something that you say normally, which I've never seen before, but I don't know Greg Greg McDermott. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I believe I don't know where he's from, uh, Iowa. I know his <laughs> no son played. Uh, I know I know they were they were in Iowa, because um, I believe he was coach at Iowa State, um, and so obviously Doug McDermott's from Ames, Iowa, but. Uh, regardless, like, I mean, to me, that's, it's, it's a strange, like, it's a strange euphemism to use in that, in that scenario. I don't think it should cost him his job, per se, but, uh, of course, you, I mean, you look at Greg McDermott kind of, kind of funny now, you know, and it's unfortunate. We'll see how that affects his ability to, to recruit and win games. Um, but, you know, again, it goes back to what are the, what are the, what are the players winning in that situation? Um, you know, if they, if they all wanted him gone, if they were all jumping the ship, like Wichita State with Greg McDermott, like, yeah. uh, not Greg McDermott, Greg Marshall, uh, like, <laughs> that is clearly a situation where they held on way too long to Greg Marshall. Um, but, and the Les Miles thing, I mean, that, I mean, it, it, it's awful because, look, he's denying it all, but if LSU, like, and, and I know a lot of people, there have been some people that have, I thought it was kind of funny how, you know, all these all these articles have referred to him as, you know, former LSU coach and LSU this, LSU that, even though he is coaching at Kansas. Um, but, like, at the same time, like, I don't look at Kansas. I mean, I do look at Kansas a little bit, but I look more so at LSU because, like you said, they didn't do this. They You, you took the action of banning him from contacting any female students. 
um, essentially like a, like a restraining order. Um, and you took the action of banning him, but then not firing him. You know, like, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's a dicey situation. I, to me, the first thing that came to mind was the fact that when he left LSU, he was out of coaching for a, a couple of years. And there were jobs that it came open at the time that I was on this show, like, advocating, like, why wouldn't they just hire Les Miles? Yeah. Like, I know, like, you know, <laughs> you know, he didn't, his offenses were kind of shaky, and, you know, the whole Mad Hatter routine wasn't really winning games at LSU last couple of years, but he's won a national championship. Yeah. These teams hiring these mid-major coaches and these, uh, you know, these, these coordinators. Coordinators, from, yeah, un- unproven guys. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't you just hire a guy who's won a national championship and has competed at the highest level? Like Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn just got hired at UCF like two months after getting fired at Auburn. Like, yeah. you know, like resume no different than Les Miles. Why was Les Miles out of coaching for so long? And the best job he'd get was Kansas. Kansas, which, yeah. I know it's power five, but it barely, might as well not be. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the worst jobs in all of college football. Yes. At, at the Division One level. So um this explains a lot. You know, yeah. and, and again, where, where, where it gets out schools, all those schools that passed on left miles and then Kansas decides, I mean, look, we're so down in the, in the doldrums that, you know, we'll take the risk. We know this will eventually come out. I think these teams have background checks when they search, when they hire these search firms to find stuff on these guys, they vet, they do the vetting process. I think these teams knew, not all of them, but I would suspect uh, this might be working theories. A lot of these programs knew. That he had these skeletons in his closet, and he was like, "It's not worth." It. Which, to them, I mean, yeah. to their credit, like they were one hundred percent right. I just, I feel like Kendall, you know, sports world needs a real reckoning with uh, our institution's lack of interest or um, care for protecting women who work in sports or or around sports in any kind of way. I understand we live in a misogynist culture, so a lot of it's cultural and, and, and the fight back culture, it takes years. But when I hear this story and I hear the Mickey Calloway stuff that continues to keep dripping and dripping, you got Terry Francona's son being like, yo, Pops knew about it. He's lying to everybody saying he didn't know about it. And he keeps lying to me and making excuses about why he ain't do nothing. Like, they're just doesn't seem to be any interest at all in really creating a safe space for women to simply just exist in the sports world. Like, you're a reporter, you're working for a university. doesn't matter what it is. It just seems like when stuff hits the fan and people are out of line, our, our measures to protect them or make an example of why this can be tolerated just don't seem to happen on a consistent basis. Jared Porter obviously is another example. Like, yeah, it's 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 and look, I'm sure we could talk to plenty of females who work in sports, and they could detail how terrible it is. Some of them won't because they're just scared of just how scared of losing their job, scared of the you know spotlight of, of being out there and talking about this stuff. But it's it's just gotten ridiculous. Like again. Anytime, you know me, I have a soft spot for adults dealing with college students and anything in a very inappropriate happening is a very soft spot for me. So when I hear 
60, 50, however old, less miles, kissing some 19, 20, 21-year-old girl unwittingly, you know, uh, you know, you know, in his uh, condo, inviting people to his condos and texting. Like, that's just, that's just, it, 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 there's no excuse for that. And the idea that you guys were just standing around and just letting this happen and just being totally cool with it until it became an issue where you had to investigate and your response was just don't don't talk to any female students anymore. I don't know, man. It's, it just it just makes me sad. Like these these stories kind of depress me because you know I, me and you both love college sports so much. So when 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 and a lot of it has nothing to do with these coaches. You know, nobody cares about the old mostly old white dudes who are on the sidelines. We care about the pageantry, the 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 the, the players, the great athletes on the field, the, the the competition, the sportsmanship, the fans. Those are the things we care about when we talk about college sports. And when we see. And, and, you know, to be fair, like I said, it's not just college, it's, it's pros because we have the issues, again, with Mickey Calloway and, and Garrett Porter. To see these sports just have just this disregard for protecting women on a basic level is sad, it's disappointing, and there's a lot of cowards that are working in this industry. Um, and it's just, it, it just sucks. Cause, yeah, cause that's to the part Because it sucks because there, there are so many women who probably want to be in the sports field and are and love the sports field and think about the crap they got to deal with on a regular basis and think about the crap that even the stuff that's not on a regular basis, maybe someone like Les Miles is an outlier, but the idea that this is how <laughs> they respond and how they, they treat someone like Les Miles, it's, ah, oh, you're still the coach. You still have all your money, no discipline. Just don't talk to any female students anymore. It's like, I don't know. It's pressing to me. And then uh, real quickly on McDermott, I, I just, the problem with Dermy Dermot to me goes beyond anything involving what the players think, to be honest. Because when you're on a team, when you're part of a, you know, all for one, one for all, you're in this thing together kind of deal, which is ironically what McDermott's trying to say. There's just, your, your, your viewpoint on things like this just are a little jaded and skewed in a way that we're not going to fully understand. I don't fault or have any issue or condemn or criticize the players for wanting him to continue coaching them this season. But that's where a university, a athletic department, people who are outside of that bubble of what it means to be on a team and be in this together trying to fight to win that championship, people who are overseeing all of this and, and, and understand that you know what we stand for, stand we stand for not just just one team but just for this university for this community and for a lot of people for the state in some ways like it's up to them to then say okay i know what you guys feel but here's why we got to step in and do something about this and that's where I, I i'm struggling with what creighton is or isn't doing here i mean what what mcdermott said was completely egregious and what i don't like is i feel like and it's something we talk about all the time. But you have college coaches who are millionaires. McDermott is a millionaire. He makes millions of dollars. Yeah. Who you would think the bar for them to clear in terms of decency is super high. But yet everything we see tells us that's actually super low. And for college kids making no money, and even if you want to make the case, oh, some of them get money on the table, whatever. Not making anything near what the coaches are making. 
uh, have no rights, no power, really nothing. Some of these kids make mistakes that kids, again, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, sometimes 18, make mistakes as kids. How many of these kids, one mistake, you're gone. Scholarship gone or you're gone for a season. You didn't go to class for a semester. You're done for the rest of the season. I'm not saying that kids shouldn't go to class. But these are mistakes that kids are making. And the the ramifications are massive. But when a coach like Greg McDermott could say something so appalling and egregious, even if it was an honest mistake, and I think it was a mistake. I don't think he wanted to say, hey, you guys are slaves. I don't think I'm... I Jesus, if that's what he was trying to say, that would be very disturbing. I, I think he made a mistake. But if the reaction is, oh, he made a mistake, oh, well, we'll just keep going forward. Again, it just speaks to a level of a lack of interest and understanding of the issue at hand. And it delegitimate delegitimizes, I can't say that word, <laughs> uh, the actual offense that happened. When you don't do anything, it sends a message to not just the team, but just but to your community, the school, to your community, and to college athletics as a whole that this kind of thing isn't really that big a deal. You just apologize and we keep it moving. No, no, this is a big deal. How we talk to these young black men who have no rights again, you're not paying them anything, you're exploiting them. Referring to them being on a plantation is outrageous and is something that needs to be dealt with with swift punishment. What that punishment is, I think it's up to whatever investigation you pull. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that's a... I mean, there's some things that happen that are fireable. This, I, I feel like he shouldn't have been coaching on Wednesday. I know that for sure. He needed to chill out. He needed to sit down. He needed to lose some bread. And we need to discuss and investigate what the hell happened in there and what has been happening with this team if that's how you're talking to them the fact that none of that's happening right now it's he said sorry he also presentation said nah you're good and we kept it moving it's a shame and it's a failure that we're seeing on the collegiate level when it comes to seriousness of of racism of, of, of combating it and, and, and taking it seriously and a seriousness when it comes to protecting women we see consistently that it's, it's just non-existent in some instances. These Creighton players can play, wear the word equality on their jersey. It don't mean a damn thing if a coach can tell call his players, tell his players to stay on a plantation, and there's zero repercussions. So it's just I, I hate to end the show on this note, but I, I mean I look at this stuff and I'm like, what the hell? What, what are we doing here? You got any last thoughts on this? <laughs> I mean, I don't, it's it's tough because it's Kansas, but like I don't know if there's any way like Greg Miles, Greg Miles, uh, Les Miles is Les uh, Miles' career needs to be over. That let's make that clear. This to me is a career-ending kind of revelation. This is not a you continue coaching, this is, which is this so is bizarre different. because like, and then look, you know, and this goes back to what you were saying. I, I don't know if you, I I, I I don't know exactly if this is where you were going, but or if you had mentioned this, but like to me, I'm looking at the media. Really funny, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and look, I, I shout out. You know, like, I understand, like, the Jared Porter situation. There was nuance as to why Amita Kimes uh, sat on that story as well as um, Jeff Passan, uh, which I get it. You know, and you know, you're you're 
you're talking about Jared Porter, and it's tough, you know. And how many other people knew about some of the stuff with Jared Porter? I mean, if the Cubs didn't know, quote unquote, they claim they didn't know. Then I mean, I'm not saying everybody in the media knew stuff about Jared Porter, but I, again, I just have my questions about like these college these college football insiders, these college football people, like they know where all the bodies are buried. Yeah, just, like like why is this never? Why are these kind of stories never a what's the word? Like they're never like a a they're never like a point of emphasis. They're not. They're not something they're looking no. to find. Like why? Like, like how does this Jeff story come out eight years later? Remember, like Jeff Goodman found the Greg Marshall thing. He just he made some calls. Like he mm-hmm. saw like oh like ten guys like left the program in the last two right. years. What's, what's going maybe, on? Maybe something's happening. Yeah. And Greg Marshall's out of a job like a week later. Mm-hmm. Like. I'm not saying that like everybody in the media that's talked about Les Miles the last five years, last almost ten years, has known about this report or has known about some of these allegations. But mm-hmm. again, some of these college football and college basketball writers are so well connected to boosters, so well connected to administrators, of course, search firms. They know where all the bodies are buried. They, yeah, they're not, they don't. They didn't want to report this. I'll, I'll say what you're trying to say. Report. How does they this come out now? Almost yeah. ten years later, and what sucks is that these guys will, will fight and scratch and claw to get the, you know the the you know the scoop on a coach hire you know being signed to a new deal, right? That's you know re, you know it's it's important in the guise of the sport, but in terms of life is re- rather irrelevant. And, and there's stories a story like this. These coaches like this all the time. Yeah, I know. Like, and uh, it's again, I'm not saying I'm not want to paint a broad brush and say every college coach has like some sort of demon. You know, but like this, this seems to it's it's these administrators and these these coaches, they just have these these ridiculous. But it also comes with the power that a big time college football coach is ridiculous. Yeah, that's why guys would rather coach in college than the NFL. That's why the NFL can't get Matt Campbell to leave Iowa State because Matt Campbell runs the he runs the school. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Kurt Ferentz runs the state at, at Iowa. You know, even though he had. A, a strength coach, uh, a, a lunatic on his on his on his strength yeah, coach. Yeah, that was a lunatic. Yeah, on his staff who's making like a million dollars a year. Yeah, and they couldn't they, they couldn't even fire him. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had to, they had they to had pay to him to leave. Yeah, they had to pay him millions of dollars as, as a severance package. Like this, the whole thing is rotten right now. But it, it starts with the power complex. It starts with the media not holding these guys accountable, and it's that's where that's where it starts and it it, it, it drips from there. But you know, to me, it's. It, 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 I, I think it, the media is the easiest thing that can change. The stuff with the administrators and the coaches having the power and the booster, that stuff's going to be there for, as long as, like, college football is as important as it's, as it's been and college basketball is as important as it's been. Those things will, will always be there. But mm-hmm. the media can hold these programs and these teams accountable um, yeah. and these coaches accountable because right now they're not. There's yeah. always it, it takes one it always takes one gutsy reporter or honestly sometimes a victim that just decides you know I'm I'm, I'm tired yeah. yeah charade you know like to, for this stuff to come out and it, it's it, it's a shame yeah it shouldn't it shouldn't uh, shouldn't it shouldn't be like this uh, the only reason why we even see any of this is because a district judge decided to make it public and show the and, and release the documents I mean it's just. In terms of less, uh, uh, less miles, um, 
Yeah, it's all it's it's all bad, as I said. It's, that's, that's the theme of this podcast. It, we don't name our podcast episodes, but if we did name the podcast episode, we'd be named all bad. Uh, it's all bad, man. Kansas, y'all gotta do the right thing. Get get homeboy out of here. Um, it's, it's it's a wrap to me for less miles. And what we understand, Kendall, is that these teams don't care about the quality of the people that they're hiring. It's just a matter of wins and losses. And I think we knew that. But I think, man, I'm really it's really crystallizing in a in a very disturbing way in the last three or four years to me. It's like y'all really don't care about the quality of man or woman that you know, most of the time it's man, because we're not really having many of these issues with female sports, which is interesting in itself. But uh, y'all don't care about the quality of men y'all have. It's just is he winning and is he losing? You have I mean <laughs> the last issue like this that we've had in female sports, uh was uh Pat Summit's son, uh, Tyler Summit, who was also wild and a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the irony. Yeah, exactly. It was a man. It was a man. <laughs> so, again, it says a lot. Um, yeah, man. This is uh, yeah. This is all like you said. Rotten is is the right word. With less miles, it should be a wrap. He's got to go. And I, I do hope that. As you said, maybe the media starts to wake up a little bit and understand what's really important. Because the last thing I'll say on this before we get out is you're right. You know, you've been on a college campus, a fairly, fairly large college campus around the yeah, athletic man. department. Yeah, the athletic department, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 have, I have nothing really to say about Temple, but. Right. Um, I only bring know, that up to say. I know jobs and like. You know, uh, I've never had the the desire to work um, any of those any of those types of jobs for the football program at Temple, uh, but I know a lot of people that did, and it's just um, it, 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 the, what I will say, what I know, and in talking to a lot of people that that have been in those types of spots, is that like it's a tight knit kind of group. Like it's not you may think like oh less miles. Like, how do you even have communications with these types of people? But it, it's a, it, it like, it's, it's not, it's not as big as you would think. I mean, I know Temple's not LSU, but like, you know, it's very possible. Like, yeah, you would, you could, you could talk to Les Miles or you could talk to, um, you know, Jeff Collins was the coach at Temple at the time, you know, or Matt Rule when I was there. But like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of thing, it, 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 this isn't as, this isn't like impossible story. This is something that is very possible. Uh, which is why it, it, it is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, and I only say that I only brought up that you've been around the athletic department because you had to understand that, like you said, like it's a tight knit group. But because of that, people know what's going on. Like, oh, I did that. Like, oh, I don't. I mean, you see behavior, you see how people act, people talk. You know, on a university campus, like people know stuff. And it's it, and for a lot again for some report. I'm not. I don't want to make this about the report. It's about these men in these positions and head coach positions but you know it, it, deciding what's important to report and what's not important to report i think we need to have a, a second conversation about that in terms of and you may say look i don't have to i don't have the the info dig yeah dig. it's it's there you don't gotta dig far it's not that it's not that it's not that it ain't i mean this less mile thing to me should have been pretty easy you know i that no none none no one who covers lsu knew Women, young women were being felt uncomfortable around Les Miles. No one knew any any of this stuff, any of it. With the way these people cover these teams like hawks, 
But again, it's not about this stuff. It's about who's injured, who's going to play on Saturday, who's transferring. It's different things. But the way you cover these teams, you had no idea this was Les Miles' conduct at all. It's impossible. It's an impossibility for me to understand that. I'm not saying you knew he was kissing women in his condo, but you knew something was up. And it shouldn't have been a district judge to let us know what was up. So shame on LSU. Shame on Creighton. And Kansas, you're on the clock. If we don't get a a resignation, a dismissal in the next 72 hours, shame on you too. That's going to do it for this edition of New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation, though it did get a little dark at the end. Um, I feel like I, I feel like you know this was a pod we kind of were loose today. It wasn't super structured in terms of what we were going to talk about, which is probably why you saw us interrupt each other a bunch on the NBA stuff. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed a lot of it. it was more free flowing and, and and it's a it's a good chat before NBA All Star Weekend. I'm really excited about it. I know it's only one day, but uh, I'm serious curious to see how the NBA pulls this off with everything all happening in one day and some of the All Stars participating in events before the game. So. All that should be interesting. Also, game Saturday, Sunday. Make sure you guys check it out. Uh, of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you check us out on New Generation Podcast Network. That's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. Uh, follow us on uh, Facebook as well, New Generation Media. I didn't say that. Uh, follow me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, and Instagram, Action EJ. Uh, Kendall's on Twitter, uh, New Gen Ken. And once again, YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Make sure you follow us on that and subscribe to the channel. That's going to do it for now. Thank you guys for checking this out. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.